Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. As they're printed in your bulletin, tonight's sermon I'm going to preach this morning, and I'm going to preach this morning's sermon tonight. See, Bill, you can do that when you're the preacher, you know. You can change things like that. And I'm going to do it. We'll exercise that privilege. So we're going to Luke chapter 23 this morning and beginning in verse 32. Tonight we're going to go back to the book of Acts and deal with our general theme of the message to the early church or the message that the early church has to us. And our subject tonight will be order in the church. Now, if that tantalizes your taste buds, come out and see what I've got to say about order in the church. Uh, We'll deal with that this evening. This morning, I want to deal with the subject, the prayer of a thief. If you can imagine that a thief could pray, and we find one that does. Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Let me read that over because I mispronounced it or placed the wrong emphasis. There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left, Then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which were hanging, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let us unite together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are gathered together in your sanctuary this morning as your children. Most of us have confessed our faith in you, what you did on that cross, and have received you as Lord and Savior. But our Father, there may be some in this congregation who cannot make that statement. And for them we pray that the same thing would happen in their life that happened in the life of this thief hanged beside you on that cross when you gave your life that we might live. We glorify your name and praise you for 
saving our soul and giving us a purpose in this life and assurance for the life to come. We don't know all the needs, our Father, of every heart and soul in this congregation this morning, but you know. You're aware of all the problems. You're aware of the heartaches. You're aware of the burdens. You're aware of the uncertainties, the losses of faith, the waywardness, the outright sin that we have all committed. Now, Father, would you use this service this morning to bring us closer to you? For there are people in this congregation, no doubt, who need to make decisions. Decisions that are bearing upon their heart and soul about what their place is in your kingdom and perhaps what their place is as a part of this fellowship. May the love of God that was showered down upon all mankind on the cross of Calvary be evident in our midst now throughout this service, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Normally, when we read the passage of Scripture that we just read, our attention is centered upon the center cross and upon the Christ that was hanging upon that cross. But I would like for us this morning to look at one of the side crosses and look into the life of a man who was hanging there with our Lord. We have to use some imagination because all we're told about this man was that he was a thief. But whatever his life had been, it deserved execution. The courts had determined that this man would no longer live in society because of his life. He was the type of person that had done it all. Whatever there was that was wrong or sinful or immoral, he had committed. He lied. He had cheated. He had been a drunkard. He perhaps had murdered. He had been immoral. But he thought he was having a good time. And you know, the thing that I have discovered in talking to people whose lives are not what they ought to be in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, they think they're having a good time. Until the Lord gets hold of them and they discover that their life has been nothing but misery. It has been unhappiness and misfortune. I talked to a person just last night who was describing an experience of the past weekend in which everyone in the group but this one person was drunk and thought they were having a good time when this individual said, I in their midst was miserable because I knew that they were not having a good time because the next morning they got up with the hangovers and the headaches and all the things and I was ready to enjoy life and they were far from being anything that was appreciable. This 
man thought he was having a good time. He was ignoring the church and the gospel that it preached. When he would turn on his television or radio and discover there was a preacher on there, he would quickly turn it off. Because he didn't want anybody telling him about the gospel. I'm putting this in modern day terms, you can well see. He was a man that would be like the person who said to me recently, I object to the fact that the TV preachers come into my home. And I thought, you don't object to the fact that all of those other programs come into your home. Why would you object to the gospel coming into your home when you have the perfect right, if you want, to switch the dial? And I guarantee you can find something else but a gospel message on TV. He had scoffed at prayer. He ignored the pleadings of his family, of his wife, of his friends, and of the church to cause him to see that there was a need to change his way of living. And he had gone to the very depths of sin. And now, as a result, he was hanging on a cross. And life was quickly slipping out of his grasp. I think he remembered the Monday night visitors from the Olive Branch Baptist Church that called at his home. And they turned him, he turned them down. I think he remembered the preacher who stood by the bedside just recently and said to an individual, would you like me to have prayer with you? And the individual said, no. The first time in my life I ever had a person say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. I think he remembered the mother or the father or the neighbor or friend who prayed. I think he would now say, if I could get down off this cross, I would go to church this morning. And I would walk down the aisle and I would get on my knees, but now he can't get on his knees. For he is strung between heaven and earth with nails in his hands. Just like the man beside him who had done nothing wrong. Yes, if he could, he would go to a quiet place and pray out his heart. Yes, if he could, he would now shed tears. And I hope that the tears that he would shed would cause something to take place in his life that would reverse all that he had gone through. But he can't do that. There's one sad fact about life, and that is that none of us can go back and undo what we have done. But there's also another fact. One can start anew from where he is and go forward. And he can go forward by believing in the man that was hanging on the middle cross. He has only one chance now to go to heaven. Only one. And that chance was tied up in a man that was hanging there with him. He'd gotten out of many scrapes. 
He's gotten out of jail many times. And he'd laughed at the authorities and laughed at advice, but he was no longer laughing. He now is going to die. And he knows he's going to hell. He knows that. I'm going to preach a sermon the last Sunday of this month. And I'm going to deal with a lot of what I'm going to say right now. But let me put it to you in a nutshell. There has never been a group, a society, a tribe, a body of people anywhere in the world that has been discovered with what believes in God. The people of New Guinea who wear no clothes and eat human flesh believe in a God, a supreme being of some sort. Their problem is how to deal with that belief. They know what sin is. Our missionaries tell us that they don't have to explain what sin is. All people know what sin is. And that the failure to repent for sin means they will pay for their sin with their life. They know that. You can't go down the streets of Madison or Danville or Charleston and find a person but what deep down in his or her soul knows that sin has a consequence which is eternal death. And the thief knows it. He's nailed to a tree. And death is fast approaching. Down at the foot of these crosses, there's a, there are families. We usually focus our attention on the family of Jesus, Mary, and his brothers and sisters and his disciples. But I want you to focus on another family this morning, the family of the thief. There's nothing in the scripture about his family. But listen, he had a family. People who are lost and going to hell don't know what they're putting their family through. If they know it, they don't recognize it or won't admit it. The agony of wives over their husbands. The agony of children over their parents. The agony of friends over friends. Destroys and breaks the hearts of good, faithful, God-fearing people because they love the lost so much that they can't stand the thought they're going to hell. The foot of this cross is his mother and his family and he's nailed to the tree and paying the price for his sin. And he believes in God. He believes in God and is going to hell. That's a, a shocker. Normally we think of people going to hell or people who don't believe in God, but that's not true. Few people go to hell who don't believe in God. Most people who go to hell believe in God. 
The problem is, they will not accept the Son of God as their Savior. That's the problem. That's the real problem. He acknowledged that his death was going to be just. He deserved to die for what he was going to do. Now comes something that seldom happens, but listen, it happens. This man made a deathbed confession. There aren't many of those. I'll tell you something about a deathbed confession. It isn't a deathbed confession. It's finally coming to grips with what he's known all his life and has refused to acknowledge. This man has not suddenly become educated. He doesn't suddenly see the light. Oh, yes, there is a God. And decide to do something about it. He has known there has been a God all his life. It has been taught him, but even if it has not been taught him, by very nature, man can believe that there is a God. One cannot look at anything in this world and be rational in his thinking, but what he has to acknowledge that there is a God. One cannot explain one iota of life without this acknowledgement. People are not that dumb. People are not that ignorant. People are not that stupid. We already know, internally we know, we're born, we're born and reared and have an internal awareness of the presence of God without it ever being taught to us. It's there, placed in our soul by God himself. An awareness that there is a God. And a man on the cross now finally comes to grips with what he has known his entire life and sees that he has been entirely wrong. He wonders, what can I do to be saved? Well, what can he do? He's hanging between heaven and earth. I'll tell you one thing he can't do. He can't go to church. Is he going to say to the soldiers down below, hey, let me off here. I want to go to church and get saved. You know what they said to that. You ask some groups, man on the cross, what can you do to get saved? He says, I don't know, you tell me. He said, well, you're, they say, well, you're going to have to be baptized. Brother, that's going to take a pretty good sized pool to get him baptized. And they're going to have to build it in a hurry and get the water up around him because they're not going to move him off the cross and he's about to die. It gets a little foolish to say you're going to have to do certain things. It gets a little foolish to say, well, you're going to have to say a hundred Hail Marys and fifty uh, something else. Our fathers, I guess it is. It's going to be foolish to say you've got to be baptized. It's going to be foolish to say you've got to get down on your knees. It's going to be foolish to say anything but believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that hangs beside you. That's what you've got to do. Amen. Believe in that person beside you. The man's lost. He looks over at the man on the middle cross and he says just nine words. Nine words. You know what he said? Lord, remember me when you come 
into your kingdom. That's all he could say. I want you to notice three things this man did while hanging on the cross. Number one, he acknowledged the divinity of Jesus Christ. He acknowledged the man on the center cross as the Son of God. Recognized that he had come from God. He said, this man has done nothing wrong. The scripture says, he that that comes to Jesus must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I can tell you with assurance, nobody goes to heaven unless he believes that Jesus is the Son of God and their Savior. You've got to do that first. Secondly, he acknowledged his guilt. He confessed his sin. He said, we, referring to the other man on the other side, we are receiving our just dues. We deserve to die for our sins. He made no excuses. He didn't say, well, the church is to blame because the church didn't make it plain to me. Let me tell you, I hope that you can never say, if you've ever been inside the doors of this church, that it was not made plain to you. If there's anything that we try to do is make it plain. What salvation is and how you get it. And what it means if you don't have it. If you don't understand that when you go out of here, I hope it's because you've been asleep, not because we have failed in our teaching or preaching. I hope that. This man didn't blame the school for not giving him a proper education, not training him for life, and therefore he went down into the the gutters of life because the school didn't give him the wherewithal to keep him out. This man didn't blame his family. He didn't say, my father was a drunkard and my mother ran around all the time and they didn't bring me up right. Nobody, I believe nobody, can blame their family for their own personal salvation. That is a personal thing. You're saved or lost on your own merits, on your own desires, upon what you do with Jesus Christ, not what your mother and dad do with him. He didn't blame society for not giving him a chance, providing him a job, making sure that he had security so that he could go out and do all the things that everybody likes to do. No, he didn't do any of those things. He accepted the responsibility for his own sin and confessed it to the man that hung on the middle cross. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the third thing he did. He confessed his faith. He confessed his faith. There are many people who would be saved if they didn't have to confess publicly. The Lord expects people to say in front of the world, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your stand. If you want to be a Christian, be one publicly. If you don't want to be a Christian, then don't be one. That's fine. Everybody has that personal decision to make. 
But anybody who stands for anything ought to be willing to stand up and be counted. I don't care what it is. Stand up and be counted for what you believe. Make your voice heard. This man from across said in the presence of the people before him to the man who was hanging on the middle cross, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What was he saying? Lord, I confess you. I recognize you as the Son of God. And I ask your forgiveness for my sins and save my soul. What happened? The man on the middle cross, very weak, loss of tremendous amount of blood from all the beatings, the agonies of the trial and the crucifixion, turned his head toward this thief. And he said some very simple words, just eight words in response. Today, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's all he said. The man was saved. Still hanging on a cross. Because he believed, he repented, and he confessed. This was the man's last chance. In a few hours, perhaps even in a few minutes, we're not told how long he lived. A short while later, they came by and broke the legs of the two men. They didn't break Jesus' bones because they found him already dead when they got there. But they, they finished killing these two men as a mercy act. It was the man's last chance. I tell you, you don't know when your last chance is. Time is so short. Man and woman both. I use man as a general term. Man seems to think that life goes on in this world. And finally there will come that time when they know that they're not going to last longer and they can make the decision. Two problems with that. Number one, most people never make that decision who go that far. But secondly, one does not know when his last chance will be. The man on the center cross can forgive sins. The man on the center cross can save souls. He's still in the saving business. And he's here this morning. But you know he's not on the cross this morning. He came down off that cross they put him in a tomb. They went to the tomb and it was empty. They suddenly discovered that he was alive. You know where he is today? Right here. And I'm He's in my heart.
Is he in yours? I know he lives. There's all him that we sing. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He walks with me and talks with me. A long life's weary way. He lives. He lives. You ask me how I know he lives. My answer is, he lives in my heart. Is he in yours? The man on the center cross is the Son of God who saved the man on the side cross because he confessed him. How about you? Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.